Welcome to Late Treason News, everyone. Pop culture, politics, and a sprinkle of treason and unending technical difficulties. Hi, Meredith. Hi, Allison. Oh, my fucking God. How long did that take me to figure out that my cable was fried? It was a full half hour, I think. It was a, yeah. Okay, it seemed longer. I thought it was like an hour. And I was explaining like in the podcasting biz, uh, the, there's like a joke. Oh, the cable's fried whenever you're having a technical difficult, difficulty because that's usually like the last thing in the checklist. It's like definitely not your cable fried. Like you hit a button or you changed a setting, you fucking dumbass, and you didn't notice. It's definitely not the cable. So I tried everything on the checklist uh, and then it was my cable that was fried. Although it might be a problem with my mixer, in which case I'm in deep fucking shit. But I think it was the cable. Uh, I don't know, guys. doesn't matter. You don't need to know this. Uh, we're back, baby. And so much to discuss. So much. Oh, my God. So I thought it could be fun if we started. Would you rather talk about the cut columnist who allegedly got scammed out of $50,000 or True Detective first? Scam. Scam, okay. scam, scam. Great. Uh, I'm into that. So if if y'all missed it, uh, there was a columnist uh, named Charlotte Cowles who uh, wrote <laughs> a column for The Cut the other day. And the title is, The Day I Put $50,000 in a Shoebox and Handed It to a Stranger, I Never Thought I Was the Kind of Person to Fall for a Scam. And what's extra funny about this is um, Charlotte Cowles is the financial advice columnist for The Cut. AKA, you would hope the last person in the world who would get scammed out of $50,000. Although, listen, we know anybody can get scammed out of money. It doesn't make you dumb. Um, it happens. No shame. It is, however, unfortunately, deeply, deeply ironic that it happened to the financial advice columnist uh, of the cut. Yes. And... There were some, there was some mild dunking, but a lot of it kept, a lot of the conversation kept coming back to how when you are convinced you're too smart to be taken in. Yes. Is the moment you become a perfect mark. Yes. And well said. That is the critical thing to take away from this. We have to be. cautious and vigilant and not cocky about it because that confidence is the ultimate weakness when it comes to the moment where somebody gets you on the hook and you have to make a choice to disregard the little voice in your head. And the thing that was shocking to me about this piece, which uh, dear friend Melissa Jura Grant said to me, was... How the hell does this woman have $50,000 in her uh, Uh bank accounts if she's a freelancer? What a great question. And of course, immediately the online sleuths uh, picked up on this because that is an insane amount of money to just have laying around where you could put in a (laughs) shoebox. And I know that people will say if you're a freelancer, if you're any sort of person that you're supposed to have an emergency fund that will cover you for a certain amount of time. But be real. Who has that? That does not exist. Yeah. Nobody has that. I know we're all supposed to have it. Like I'm supposed to own a house. I don't fucking own a house. I'm an an elder millennial. I'm never going to own a house. You know, Um, I love those articles that are like, by this age, you should have this many hundreds of thousands of dollars saved. And I'm like, wow, yeah, theoretically, that'd be dope. It's never going to (laughs) happen in this economy. I'm I'm X years old. I'm supposed to have how many times my annual salary saved away from retirement? Excuse me? Me? Never. Uh, So immediately everyone was like, who is this woman? How does she have this much money? Uh, I don't know if it's true, but the TikTok sleuths like were like, oh, she's related to the Roosevelt. She owns a brownstone. It was basically like that classic Park Slope trust fund kid story where it's like, oh, yeah, you, she's from generational wealth. Right. And this small inheritance that she mentions yes. in the piece about. Quote unquote, small inheritance. I love, I love when trust fund babies get cornered and they're like, listen. Do I have a small inheritance? Yes. And it's like, could you define small? 
I know. What did you say to me? You were like, it's three of your dad's old shirts. And I added, uh, and and your mom's ceramic figurine collection. Precious moment statues. Yeah. Like that's a small inheritance. Like you were talking about probably a quarter of a million dollars. If I had to guess what your small inheritance is, that's not small to most people in America. It might be small in your circle where everybody went to Harvard and Yale because they're legacies, you know? Um, So that was funny immediately. The fact that she like kind of threw that out there and didn't realize $50,000 is a lot to um, get scammed out of and not have it be like utterly devastating. Like she had that money to burn probably. Um, So there is a conspiracy theory that has arisen from all of this. And no allegations are being cast by me, okay? I'm just repeating what I've seen. There's no evidence that this is true. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But other freelancers will, like, this will sound familiar as I'm talking. Um, Freelancers, we get get taxed very heavily at the end of the year. You're supposed to pay quarterly. Who the fuck does that? Not me. No Um, one has ever has the amount of liquidity to pay quarterly. Also, I still or don't understand like quarterly. how I'm supposed to estimate it because it's like when you talk to somebody, an accountant or somebody who works for the IRS, they talk to you like you make a fixed sum every mm-hmm. month because they're not used to dealing with freelancers. So they're like, okay, so how much do you make a month? And I'm like, I don't fucking know. That's the nature of the game. And then, so they're like, okay, so just estimate how much. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. And that's how you pay quarterly. Anyway, um, so I can't do that. So I just pay at the end of the year, or uh, tax season. Anyway, um, there is a theory that perhaps she didn't want to pay taxes on the $50,000, so she's reporting it's stolen, even though it's not stolen, so the IRS won't tax it. There's no evidence that that is the case, but because everything in the story is so suspicious, including the fact that like she doesn't disclose how she just had $50,000 to get scammed out of, I think everything has been cast in sort of like a suspicious light because it's like there's definitely like big parts of the story she's not sharing. Absolutely. And the way in which it unfolds, I mean, there to be on the telephone with a scammer for six full hours while you go to the bank and leave him on speaker in your pocket while you withdraw this money, like why? Can we talk about like what happened? Yes. Why don't you run through what happened so we're not just... Shit. I was going to ask you to do it because I didn't actually read the... <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I'll do it. Okay. okay. So this woman, she's the New York Magazine financial advice columnist, freelancer, has a young son, lives with her husband and son in Brooklyn. She gets a telephone call from someone claiming to be with Amazon on Halloween. Now, so- Amazon... And I think this is important because if there's going to be like a public service aspect to this, maybe we should explain like, don't get scammed. Like Amazon is never going to make a phone call like this to you. Um, First of all, because like they're too slammed on their end. So they're not like doing this kind of like one-on-one personalized (laughs) service with customers. Like the, the sketchiest thing that has happened to me with Amazon is there are definitely like fake sellers on Amazon. So you have to be careful, like who you buy from, but like my package will get stolen and I have to chat with customer service and they send a replacement or they refund me. That is the extent of any interaction you have with Amazon. They certainly don't do the following. (laughs) Yes. So this person calls and says, we have records of thousands of dollars in transactions to buy iPads, laptops, whatever, phones. Did you make these? And she says, no. And then, of course, she logs in, checks her account, sees absolutely no fraudulent charges. The person on the line says, oh, well... This is linked to a business account. And she thinks, huh, that's weird. I don't have a business account. And then the person on the telephone says, I'm going to connect you with the FTC. Like, I'm going to connect you with the authorities. And all You're of never sudden- going to talk to the FTC. Like, the, the Federal Trade Commission is never going to get on the phone with you. This just does no. not happen. And like, 
again, I'm not trying to be unkind because, you know, we live in a, our, our boomers are aging. Um, you know, this is very typical to happen to like someone with Alzheimer's. Like it's, it's very understandable why this would work on some people where I keep hitting a wall is I don't know Charlotte cows. So I don't know, like, um, you know, her, any kind of like medical history or anything like that. But for all intents and purposes, it seems as though she's firing on all cylinders, um, no cognitive issues. That is why I'm just like, so this is a grown, intelligent woman who- With thinks, multiple lawyers in her life a phone call yes, away. Who, her brother is a lawyer. Who thinks the FTC and Amazon have a working relationship. <laughs> I'm like, and that they work with like, customers mm -hmm. and like have the the resources and the time to devote to something like this is like well, maybe maybe it is sort of like from her privilege where she's like yes they they would be contacting me because I need help right now well and this is what's even crazier is that this guy the guy he says he's working with the FTC but he says he's a CIA officer what the fuck Charlotte Charlotte like, I'm sorry the CIA does not operate in the United States in any way that would mean they were actually working on a financial fraud case. And and like something as small as this, because even though it was, you know, like a lot of money. Well, this is what kind of this is how she gets dragged into it. And I think this is where the privilege comes in. He says that there is a long running investigation into drug trafficking and violence to which she is connected through identity her theft. Amazon account. <laughs> that somebody had stolen her social security number and I had see. opened up all of these accounts. So her name had been used to rent a car. But in that case, in New Charlotte Mexico. And like that meant, and there was connected to a house where there were tons of drugs. And so she had warrants out for her arrest. And she needed to work with him to make sure that all of her money and property wasn't tied up in this case because she was going to be arrested and all of her funds were going to be frozen while she was being prosecuted for this, essentially. I mean, now, I'm almost glad that I don't know this story because you explaining it to me right now is like, I, I'm just like baffled where it's like, in that case, Charlotte, you are a victim of financial fraud. and. Yeah. For them to then say, so you have to send us money because X, Y, Z is like nothing, nothing registered where she's like, wait a second, you've just told me I'm the, the victim of a financial crime. Why am I giving you money? Yeah. And that this is, of course, followed by in many of these cases, someone close to you is the person who's doing this. So you can't speak to anyone because you can't trust anyone. We've found that sometimes it's the partner. Sometimes it's a family member. Sometimes it's a it's an employee at your bank. So therefore, do not speak to anyone about this because that would alert them and <laughs> immediately cause you trouble. You should go withdraw as much money as you can in cash because if your accounts get frozen you need something to live off of. Oh, like, so that wasn't even, that wasn't even her state. It, that was as much money as she could withdraw in, in at one time. Well, he was like, how much money can you get your hands on? And she's like, I don't know, maybe 50 grand. And he's like, okay, well, you know, that would be okay. Um, and so it continues like this and, and keeps her on the phone back and forth. Here's a case number. Here's, I'm texting you a photo of my badge. Like... <laughs> This you know, fine. eventually getting to after six hours and mentioning her child uh, and how these things can be dangerous, say, you know, convincing her that she needs to give them the cash that she has withdrawn. And then they will mail her a treasury check. Oh, my God. Now, this is after telling her that they were going to freeze all of her accounts. So how would she cash the check, might, yes. you might ask? Yes. Um, but she then says, okay, fine, I'll do it. <sighs> but before any, after she gets the money and she says, yes, I've got it, that's when the scammer says, I have someone on his way to your apartment to pick up the money. Now, what kind of vehicle will he be driving? A van. 
Okay. So Charlotte, I let's let's give her every benefit of the doubt up and including uh getting the money and putting it in a shoebox. You a exit floral shoebox. <laughs> you exit your building and there is a van. Charlotte, we're 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 told from the age of like three not to go near strangers in vans. She, a fully grown woman, descends the steps and hands over fifty thousand dollars. I'm like, Charlotte, listen, anyone could get blindsided on a bad day. We've all been scammed, like whether it's like a small situation, large situation, it happens to everybody. The fact that her job is to give financial advice to other people is a bridge too far for me. I'm like, all respect to Charlotte. She seems to come from a very privileged background. She won't be devastated if she has to find a new job. I don't think she should have this job anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's really striking. And I I just keep thinking about it because she takes a really interesting approach at, in the end, towards the end of the piece where she speaks to people who've worked in criminal justice and have dealt with coerced confessions ah. and talking about how the, there is actually a psychological and emotional connection between techniques used by police to coerce confessions oh. and the actions, the way that scammers work right. on people's emotions. That's cool. Yeah. So the idea of, well, if you have a lawyer with you, that's just going to make everything more complicated. So why don't we just have a conversation? The And it, it seems like it would be especially effective with people who come from privilege and who have no not known struggle, let's say, because... Oh, yeah. They, they don't know they're getting scammed. Yeah. And they're convinced that if they are deferential to authority, oh, yeah. that everything will be okay because I'm innocent. I mean, think about how many times people are innocent and then they're like, oh, well, this is easy to get cleared up. And then they are right. totally fucked because wow. of of the the fact that it's not about your actual innocence. It's always about case clearance or just whatever theory someone has. Right. So if you're the kind of person who is convinced you're never doing anything wrong, if you're a rule follower, yeah. you're going to follow these. You're going to say, well... I'm sure there's a way to clear this up and then follow the instructions. That's a great point. Yeah. And I think yeah. like if, if there's a good takeaway from all of this, it's, I think Charlotte's right to say like anybody can get scammed. So be vigilant, you know? And also, yeah, I think that's a great point. Like don't be a little rule follower, like always be questioning authority, always being like, who are you? Like, what's the angle? How do I protect myself? And always, always, always get a fucking lawyer, like, especially when you are dealing with the cops, even if they're like, you're not in trouble. We're just going to have a conversation. Cool. We can have a conversation when my lawyer gets here. Exactly. And if someone's calling you and telling you something needs to happen right now, that is simply not true. Think this about the main thing. And I know I told you this already, Meredith, but I thought it was like, it's, it's good advice. The main thing I've like said to older relatives, because like, Guys, if you think we're in deep shit now, just wait until the the ability to clone voices really pops off because it's already happening in scams. Your elderly parents are going to get a phone call from scammers using your voice saying, send me $80,000, wire it to this account. And like, this is just like the beginning of this shit. Well, it's already started. The There's a yeah. very common scam now where Somebody is calling, pretending to be a niece or a nephew yes. or a child or grandchild saying, oh, there I've are... been arrested for a DUI and I need yep. you to help me. People have yeah. recorded them and put them on TikTok and it's fucking terrifying. There was a girl who got a phone call from her quote unquote sister using her voice that she was in jail and she needed bail. And the, she just had a weird feeling and she called her sister back and her sister said, I have no idea what you're talking about. Uh, crazy. So. Yeah. It's already beginning. But so the main thing I've told like older relatives is no reputable institution will ever put you in a scenario where it's a ticking time bomb thing. They're, they're never going to say you have to do X in the next hour or we're going to do Y. Um, you know, like full disclosure, I've owed the IRS money in the past because I'm a freelancer and I didn't know how to pay taxes. <laughs> so like I had a bill with them for a number of years and 
they never do that. They'll, they'll contact you and they'll say, listen, we might put a lien on your house. And I was like, ha ha ha. I'm an elder millennial. I don't own a house. We may garnish your wages. Okay. I'm self-employed, you know, and you just go down the checklist, but they're never going to say shit. Like if you don't pay us in the next hour, we're putting a warrant out for your, like they just don't or there is a operate warrant. that if way. There, if there is a warrant out for you, the police will come to your house. Exactly. I'm sorry. They don't call ahead. Michael Clayton made this point. The cops don't call. Right. Literally the first fucking scene in the movie. And you have to understand, like, we are in a collapsing empire uh, and there are fewer and fewer resources to devote to this type of shit. The FTC is not contacting you. The CIA is not contacting you. (laughs) Like Amazon's not contacting you. You might get an alert from your bank saying like, I've gotten a couple of those legit phone calls that are like, hey, did you buy $20,000 worth of merchandise in Korea? And I'm like, no, I did not, sir. And they might flag stuff, but they're never going to say, okay, cool. Send us $50,000. You victim of a financial crime. We want to take even more money from you. That makes no sense. Yeah. Um, But the other thing that's really important to recognize and remember is that the whole crux of these gambits is to spike your adrenaline, get get your body operating in panic mode, and then slowly bend reality around what they want you to do. Yeah. And this actually, this, this is a strategy used by quick change artists. The, the whole idea is to overwhelm you. So you don't understand what's happening. So the best thing you can do in a situation where you're feeling very flustered is to say, I'm so sorry, I'm going to have to hang up for a second. Um, I have a, a previous engagement. Um, can you call me back in like an hour? Yeah. Uh, if, if you have follow-up questions, I don't think you should keep engaging with scammers, but what a scammer is always trying to do is get you to rush to make a mistake. So if you can take back the power and say, you know what, actually, I need a second, it totally fucks them and their momentum. Yeah, yeah. And that's, it's really the thing to do. Um, and, you know, I've had moments where I was at least a little bit concerned by something that was just real enough where I thought, huh, maybe. And then the second yep. I was like, nope, that's this doesn't make any sense. I'm I'm wrong. I'm an idiot. And then there is this constant pressure and harassment and that will follow because that's the desperation that, that is, well, we think we've got you on the hook. Now we just need to reel you back in. Exactly. And, you know, it's funny now to think about how there have been articles about how when the baby boomers die, there's going to be this massive transfer of generational wealth to their millennial children. But think about how that's probably not going to happen because they're all going to get scammed. <laughs> scammed out of the money. Like, I know. Yeah. Absolutely. Exactly. No one is getting any money from their parents anymore because they're all going to get taken yeah. for a ride. I was thinking about this and I didn't know if I was being paranoid. I might go through with that. But uh, my mom just got a smartphone. And I had like a whole discussion with her before she got her phone. And actually, I would really recommend everybody does this with their parents, their older parents, just like online literacy, where I was like, okay, first of all, everything's a scam. Literally everything. You are not to send your social security number to anyone or your banking information. And she's like kind of rolling her eyes because she's like, I know all of this. But I'm like, I know you know it now. But if it is a high pressure situation and it sounds real enough, like I've almost been scammed by stuff. Everyone has. If you're on the Internet long enough, eventually Mm -hmm. you'll catch yourself doing something like almost reflexively like we were like, what the fuck am I doing? So I was wondering if I should have like a safe word with her, especially if this like cloning of voices stuff really like pops off where she and I have a safety word where if I quote unquote call her and say, I need money. She goes, what's the safe word? Oh, that's a really smart idea. Yeah. And if I don't say it, then it's a scam, obviously. So I might do that with her. And I would recommend everyone do that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the the number of times, I think some of this also can be dealt with. It's not a perfect solution and it's not available to everyone. But open communication with your loved ones is a huge bulwark against 
these kinds of operations, because if you're not afraid or ashamed to talk about money or talk about what's going on in your life, it does make it harder for scammers to come in and create the bubble that they need. You know, like if you're the kind of person who would say, if you're not afraid to say, oh, I need some help here, I'm frightened, or this seems really terrible, what do I do? Like they need to prey on our essential loneliness and sense of isolation as well. That's exactly what I was going to say. The sad thing is I think a lot of the time it's happening. It's to people who don't have a support system, who are isolated, who like, because here's the thing. And I would just recommend this for everyone because there was just another scam story uh, that was floating around the other day about um, someone in finance at a company (laughs) wired like several million dollars to scammers and they were in a full virtual meeting with the board of their company, quote unquote, that was just cloned voices of (gasps) every single person. That's how sophisticated it's getting. So they, to them, they had like full confirmation. Everything was okay. And then wired the money and realized they had been scammed. So that's what we're dealing with. So <laughs> that's what I mean. Like, it's going to get so bad, you guys. Um, yeah. But by and large, the the victims are isolated older people. Um, but if you are in contact with your older relatives and you can have these conversations, like, it's fun to dunk on Charlotte, obviously. And I hope she's okay. And it's not, like, too intense on her end or, or anything. And I don't want her to actually lose her job, <laughs> obviously. But, like... <laughs> uh, yeah, if something positive can come out of this, like I'm glad she's talking about the police interrogation stuff because that's so important for people to understand. And also, like we are just at the the tippy tippy top of the iceberg with this shit. We are going to get scammed in ways that have not been invented yet. So if there are any guardrails we can put up where it's like, even if like, here's an example, that guy who got scammed in the board meeting, right? Mm-hmm. If he had hung up with everyone and then separately called back the CEO to be like, Hey, I just want to get it in an email, that conversation we just had, cause this is a large sum of money. And I feel a little weird about just wiring it without seeing anything in writing. Can you, and of course the CEO would have been like, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> we never had a conversation. We didn't just have a meeting and then they could have, you know, realized what was going on. But even something little like, okay, let me just call you back quickly to make sure this is a real phone call. And if they don't say yes immediately, red then flag. Yeah. That's it. that's that should be the red flag because yeah. no one should be trying to convince you that you don't need to to do all kinds of extra verification. I mean, it's it's ridiculous because you know, I I have a a friend who posted um a lot over the past year or two about care she's had to give to her ailing mother and dealing with someone who had stolen her bank information and was consistently opening new accounts and new accounts and new accounts. And she was trying to solve this for her mother and the banks were useless because they actually wanted so much information from her and from her mom, even as someone was constantly opening new accounts. So she could get them closed but she couldn't actually address the issue because somehow that was never enough. And I'm like, we should be more like those assholes at the bank. <laughs> Guys, it's like, it's really scary because if you get scammed by overseas scammers, that money's just gone. Like gone. you can file a report with the cops. They can't do anything. So again, I'm like, if it's never happened to you, great. Go with God. Remain vigilant. But I don't think people understand like what a huge issue this is going to be. And we're like laughing about it because it happened to Charlotte. And she's like, she's going to be fine. And she's very privileged. But the boomers are just getting older and older. And it's going to be a fucking epidemic. Yeah. And let's just point out as well that a lot of people who operate the scams from overseas are slaves. And have been victims of human trafficking. <laughs> so, but, you know. <laughs> but are working, yeah, they're, but they're, they're also working for like 
very wealthy people, you know, and they've gotten wealthy by doing stuff like this. So it is sort of like, because I've heard people be like, well, they're, these are poor people and they need the money. It's like, it's not going to them. No, like the people who are in the huge call centers. Yeah. are like, you know, they're also just stuck in this fucking machine where it's like you, they're not getting rich off of like your mom's inheritance, you know? No, they're, they've been promised work overseas. They end up stuck in a windowless compound in Malaysia or somewhere. And they're told that they have to work off their debt. Their passports are stolen. Like it's classic human trafficking in a lot of ways. And these are organized operations that use these people to enrich themselves. It's a international mobster criminal organization kind of set up that are taking your money. You know, this isn't like a, Oh, they need it more than me. Like if that's how you want to think about things, volunteer at a fucking homeless shelter. Don't think about it. Like don't think about these scams that way. If you'd like to learn more about this, um, check out the documentary, the beekeeper starring Jason Statham. (laughs) Very detailed analysis of what's happening globally right now with uh, financial scams. Um, So, wow, we talked about that a while. I was like, I don't know if we have anything to say about this. We sure do, everybody. Um, So let's talk about, let's pivot to True Detective because uh, tomorrow's the finale, yes? Yeah, last episode. Uh, and I wanted to follow up on it because we had just reviewed the pilot, which we were very, very excited about. And I remain as a, a very good pilot. I enjoyed it a lot. And I know we differ a little bit on how we're feeling about the show right now. Um, so I wanted to talk about uh, our feelings, unpack them. I had uh, expressed to you that I am feeling very frustrated with the show right now. I think it fell off a bit of a cliff. Um, and I think part of that obviously is that maybe it was supposed to be eight episodes and they wanted to condense it to six. Uh, everything's feeling a bit rushed at the moment in terms of character arcs and how we're supposed to be feeling about these characters. I think my main issue with the show is Issa Lopez, who, um, created uh, true detective night country this season. and who has like really, really gone out of her way to at least verbally express the desire to parse the supernatural from mental illness. And Isa has said in every interview about the show that she was really, really worried about conflating the two. And she didn't because there's a character in the show um, who. I think like we're supposed to think is mentally ill and or there's mental illness in the family, but then there's also like supernatural elements. So you never know, like, is she actually seeing a ghost or is she not? Is this mental illness? And Issa was always like, we're so sensitive to this. We're going to be so careful. And I really just feel like they dropped the ball in a huge way with this character. She's not really developed. Um, I don't want to like give spoilers away, but I didn't like how this character was resolved and I found it offensive. Like, sorry, everybody. Sorry not to be like, you know, the pearl clutcher, but as someone who has mental illness in my family, like in a pretty profound way, uh, I did not appreciate how this character was treated. I thought it was like wildly offensive. I, yeah, I definitely had, was not as bothered by it, but I completely see everything you're saying. And I do think it should have been handled differently. And it was a huge missed opportunity. I, it's funny that at this point you say, well, maybe it was supposed to be eight episodes and then they decided to cut it down because most of the time when we're talking about television (laughs) shows, we're bitching about the fact that they go on for too long and there isn't enough happening during some of the episodes. Yeah. That made me think. So there was four writers on um, the previous episode, which is usually a pretty bad sign. That usually means there's been extensive rewrites and possibly like a total recalibration of like the season and where it's going. So immediately I was like, Oh no. 
Um, it it's it's very messy how the characters are being handled and. Again, without giving away a spoiler, but there was a pretty huge event that happened at the end of uh, the last episode that I that felt rushed and not earned and um, cheap, and I'm I'm very disappointed, honestly, because I was like I'm very excited about this season. Uh, love Jodie Foster, love Callie Race. I think they're doing everything they can in this show. And I do genuinely enjoy elements of the show. I was telling you this Meredith, but I really like this like community that Issa created in Ennis. Um, and like the interpersonal relationships. And to me, all of the supernatural stuff, even like the true crime stuff, honestly, is like secondary to the character stuff. Like I really like this little community and I love seeing the different characters interact with each other and finding out about their history with each other. And oh yeah, there's also this mystery I guess they're trying to solve and ghosts pop up every once in a while. Like that stuff almost is like not, that stuff that I love usually in a show is um, not doing it for me other than the pilot, which I think really effectively utilized it. Yeah, it has been... They set up the mystery really nicely. And as soon as they had to start untangling it, it starts to fall apart because there's just too many balls in the air, too many threads that need to be addressed. And it takes you away from the most interesting elements. Like, I want to know way more about the character Annie Kay, like her background as a midwife or like what people are doing now or just, or the, the super hot bartender. Like, (laughs) yeah. So hot. Uh, yeah. Like to me, that almost felt like a studio note where you either focus on the scientists, right. Or you focus on Annie to, to have both happening at the same time. And, Oh wow. They're actually related. It's like, kind of like, all right guys, like, what are we doing? Also, it's just really frustrating that there's no, no, I was going to say, it's really frustrating that there is a focus on the crisis of missing and murdered indigenous women and girls, but that it, it doesn't feel like it really gets the attention that it deserves. Right. Um, And to wrap it up in, in this, like, I'm still glad they're doing it, but I wish that there could have been more and, and perhaps like actually making it more about her and about this and, and less the shadowy conspiracy ghost potential stuff. Um, that said, I'm still really excited for the last episode because I want to see what happens. I can't. Yeah. I don't know if I'm excited. I'm just kind of like, we have one more episode. (laughs) I should just watch it. Uh, but yeah, like I think this is like a pitfall of just claiming you're doing like an important show. If you, if you go into any artistic endeavor saying it's also going to be important, you guys, we're going to like unpack the disappearances of indigenous women and um, we're going to explore how mental illness, like already it's like, all right, well, if you don't hit those benchmarks perfectly, you have set yourself up to fail. So the fact that Issa went on so many shows and was like, we're so mindful you guys about mental illness. And then they did that. I'm kind of like, well, you did that to yourself. Like, why did you go in saying this was going to be an exploration of like mental illness and like really hairy stuff? This is a true crime show. There's a corpsicle in this. Like, what are you doing? Like, if you wanted to have like a fun, true season with like two badass lady detectives, let's just do the corpsicle. Like, why are we also doing this thing about like, poisoning local like I understand that but it's like one or the other you know like I really did like the scene where Jodie Foster went into um that the gathering where they're grieving because the baby Mm -hmm. there was a stillbirth um and it's like immediately clear how everyone feels about her I thought that was like Issa knows what she's doing right like in moments like that it's like this is a really good gifted storyteller 
when yeah. she's like picking one lane. But the fact that, and I, that's what I'm wondering. And the reason I'm like thinking about this stuff is because Madam Web just came out. <laughs> and guys, it, uh, it's getting very bad reviews. But I'm hearing more and more about what happened to the different iterations of that script. Um, and I don't know if, because you don't care about comic books at all. But originally what Madam Web was supposed to be about was um, the different variations of the lady Spider-Man uh, were protecting Peter Parker's mother. And that was like originally what the story was. And then the studios were like, these are too many ladies. <laughs> we need to rewrite this. So like once you understand how many notes screenwriters get, uh, you can kind of understand how shit gets fucked up, right? So like I would be very curious to know what the evolution of true detective night country was because it feels like maybe Issa wanted the Annie K story. Yeah. Do you think that David Zaslav walked in and was like too many ladies? <laughs> yeah. And he's wearing like a Baja shirt. Yeah. Uh, and he's like <laughs> drinking a Mark. Yeah. That's always comes in, David comes in from the golf course wearing a puka shell necklace. And he's like, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, Jodie Foster's gay, right? We got to find something else for this. <laughs> yeah, like leg up on the table, just kind of like, here's my note. Uh, it's the same note I always give, less women. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, but I'm wondering if there was a concern that it wasn't like showy enough. So they were like, what if we just rip off the thing and <laughs> we have this like opening with this, like, I don't know. I don't, I would be very curious to know why there is so much in six episodes so everything feels rushed and everything is sort of sloppily being resolved. And several things feel like they've just been dropped in from nowhere and yes. then abandoned. Like yes. the one-eyed polar bear. Like, what come on, fuck? guys, that was extremely haunting and you didn't want to find a, a more of a way to do this. And um, So you don't think we're going to get the one-eyed polar bear in the finale? Oh, no, I think we probably will, but I feel yeah. like there hasn't It'll been, be nothing. Yeah, that it, it'll just be a dead end. Yeah. And I also, like, I'm trying to be mindful of the fact that the first season of True Detective was also kind of a mess. A mess. A me That's the thing, like, Nick uh, Pizzolatto, like, running his fucking mouth about this season. First of all, say less, my dude. Um the the way True Detective ended, I really encourage any bro who's like, they fucked up a classic. Watch that finale again of, of season one. It's a mess. It's a fucking mess. And it's like kind of a similar note where it's like, y'all did too much. You couldn't resolve it in time. You rushed the ending. So maybe this is like Isa's like meta tribute to season one being sloppy as hell. Uh, but yeah, the, the people who were like, they ruined this like sterling franchise. It's like, first of all, no, they didn't. And also I want to be clear, like there is stuff I liked about this season. I think that's why I feel disappointed because I wanted it to be so good. And it's like, it's, it's fine. Guys, but you know fine. what? If the end result of this is HBO asks Jodie Foster yeah. to like do something with them. Or Callie. Yeah. Like. Yeah. I want this to leave them getting lead to them getting more work and like let this be a nice moment for a return of Jodie Foster just being amazing and gay and fabulous, you know. I do like, still wish that they had just let them be two gay detectives cuz I'm like listen, sexuality is a spectrum. I get that. I'm just kind of like Y'all are given like such great butch energy. Like anytime they have to have like an intimate scene with a man, I'm kind of like, why? Why are we doing this? It's so frustrating. Although it does make me so happy to see Christopher Eccleston every time. And I love, I love that him. his return was also followed by him just shit posting about the monarchy as well, because <laughs> he just never listens to his agents and will constantly talk shit about them. I and should say I too, like constantly, I should say too, I do think he and Jody do have chemistry. And I just think it's like, it's so funny, but like, I do think they do, they sell that relationship where it's like, Oh yeah. Like they, I could see them fucking, you know, but, um, 
Yeah, I think that's all I wanted to say about the show. I'm a little disappointed that Callie hasn't had more fights. She gets to shit beaten out of her in a scene, but haven't really seen her open up on anybody. But there's one more episode. Maybe she'll absolutely unleash. (gasps) What if she fights the polar bear? Oh, my God. What if there is an extended fight sequence where Callie absolutely destroys a one-eyed polar bear? I'll show up. I'll pay. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll do a fan cam on that. I'm <laughs> World star. Uh, yeah. <laughs> World star. <laughs> that is for the elderly millennials listening. Um, so shall we do? Oh, no. Duh. Do you want to talk about the traders? Oh, my God. Okay. If you have not, have you not been listening to us, listeners, as we've said that this is the greatest show on television right now and that everyone needs to be watching it? Because it is. Yeah. And also, I don't know how we can talk about it without spoilers. So if you're not caught up, skip ahead. Um, but yeah, I, I've i been trying to sell this show to some friends of mine who are like not true Survivor fans. And well, I think the way in in that way is Phaedra and the Bravo ladies, you know. But it for me, it like really enhances it that I am a survivor nerd and Parv and Sandra are like two of my favorites ever. Um, do you think the show is enjoyable if you don't know anything about reality TV? I think it still is. I think it is too, because here's what I'll say about this. The first season of The American Traders was fun, but was missing something. And I think it was because it was half reality stars, half normies. Yes. And so... You have to pick one, much like the true detective conundrum. It's like, pick one. Yeah. you. So you couldn't... like the Things didn't operate quite as, as seamlessly as they should. By switching to all reality-like sh- stars in the second season they've solved the problem brilliantly and you get to watch people strategizing and the fact that they're reality stars means they all have the same essential vernacular. And one of the things that's been so fun about watching this season is seeing the gulf between the Bravo puns and the gamers Yes. And watching that interaction where they're everybody knows where they come from, what they're doing, what they're there for, and how to be good on television. But then they have to play the game and you watch them play the game using the tools that they have as reality stars. So you get it's like very meta in a yes. weird way, yeah. but it's incredibly compelling because you realize how much strategy these fucking Bravo shows have in them. (laughs) Well, there's like a social aspect to it, which I think Phaedra is like putting like a clinic on about where it's like, you have to charm people and you have to be like good on camera and you have to know how to like socially manipulate people. And then there's a gaming aspect, which is like Sandra and Parv, right? Where it's like, how do I manipulate every single situation? My ban, my benefit. And in Sandra's case, like, doing math where it's like, do we just have the numbers? Which is like so much of Survivor, just constantly doing math where you're like, do I have the votes, you know? Um, And then they're like, there's like some floaters, you know, like Kevin and MJ who are just kind of like caught up in everything. And Sheree, where it's like, I don't think y'all have a strategy. I think you're just like, it's day to day, which is, you know, whatever. but there'll but, always be a few of those, even, you know, in, even in Survivor, there's someone where you're like, okay, oh, yeah. you're just like flying by the seat of your pants and you're And they fucking bodies. lose. They lose like yeah. every time they, you just like need bodies. Some, I think Sandra always said that, like we need bodies where it's just like, you do need, just need some of votes, you know, after a while, but they'll get cut eventually, um, or voted out, um. But yeah, I I thought Parv was so fun and I was so sad to see her go. I knew it was going to happen. She was just so fucked. She was like, she knew she was fucked too. Like she had no moves left. Um, 
I mean, I did, I did respect that she was like, she was playing her cards. Like she saw what was happening and she did everything she could possibly do. It wasn't as if she had left a trick no, on the table. She, that's you know? the thing that's great about her. She fights until it's over, you know, like even the move with like trying to like something, make something happen with Peter, you know, just like she never stops hustling. And that's, that's fun to watch. You don't want to watch somebody give up, you know? And then my girl, Phaedra recruiting Kate. I, cla- I was by myself in my apartment clapping where I was like, oh, I cheered. I, I knew she was going to pick, like, obviously she needed to recruit because it was just her, but I was like, Kate, fucking do Kate, get Kate, get Kate. Uh, and I had a feeling she was, uh, cause Kate, her edit this last episode showing like how she had Phaedra's back, you know? So I was like, I think she's going to recruit Kate. It's going to be so fun. I'm pumped. And all anyone has wanted, including Kate, was for her to come and get to be a yes, traitor because finally. she is a Bravo superstar. I, I know I know that's why the producers brought her back. Cause they were like, how did we have Kate and she wasn't a traitor? Like, that's stupid. We need to fix that. Also, apparently there's been some blinds floating around that she might be doing more with Bravo in the future. Wink wink. Yeah, I saw that too. Yeah. Um, which I'm excited about. This <laughs> It's just so thrilling to watch them. The challenges are so silly. Yes, there's a lot of Easter eggs if you've watched a lot of Big Brother or a lot of Survivor, but there's just such intense joy in what I, that I get from watching this show because it's so stupid, but it's so well constructed. And it's theatrical. People, it's like if you are yeah. a ridiculous theater kid or you were a ridiculous theater kid, you will love the traitors. There's like this theatricality. Alan Cummings is like serving looks every episode and it's so over the top. Like he usually is, but he's turning it up even more for the traitors. Assisted uh, by his silent manservant, Fergus. Who, yeah, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> I just so stupid. Like just Fergus just locks Kate in a dungeon. It doesn't talk to her. She goes and she's like, Fergus, what's happening? Can you bring me champagne? And he's just nonverbal. I was like, this is the greatest show that's ever been made. I love it so much. I know. Finally, like watching people who know how to be on reality TV at a 10 on a show that has that is a competition around them being manipulative and then having the chance and then putting in in these ridiculous situations, like, oh, people just thought through this so carefully and so beautifully. And it's, it's fun. Like they're actually making plans. They're strategizing, they're forming their alliances. It's like fun to watch them in this little war. Um, And uh, just such a ridiculous program that makes me so happy. And I can't wait until the British, uh, the UK's second season is available in the US. And like, don't tell me to download it because I'm too stupid. I know. Uh, <laughs> no, no, I, I, I'm going through the exact same thing where I was like, should I download it? And I was like, no, I'll wait. I'm like desperately trying to like not see things online. But I heard that season's great. If you have streaming, you should watch the last Australia season of The Traders. It's like fucking phenomenal. And it's like, randoms but there's like some quasi celebrities like one of the guys is the dude who was um held as a hostage like the lo- he has the record right the longest held yeah, hostage he's like the longest held hostage in Australian history he was held by s- in Somalia Right. Yeah, yeah. Um. So now he's an international crisis <laughs> negotiator, and he's like casually dropping this, and I was like, "What? Like the show is insane!" But they're really fun twists and turns that season. I was shocked to learn that it got canceled in Australia. They're not renewing them after that season. That's insane to me because, as I learned from Les Culturistas from Bowen and Matt, mm-hmm. that. It's in like over a dozen countries. They have it in like Germany and Belgium. I want to watch all of them. (laughs) Let me watch all of them. And also I have a feeling because the Australia season popped so much on streaming. I feel like they might bring them back. So 
that would be great. Australians are so good at this game. They really are. It was, that was a joy to watch. I was like, oh my God. I'm very curious to see if for the next season of the Traders, they change anything given that Sandra blew up the show a little bit. And I don't know if most people understand that she did. So maybe they won't feel the need to tweak anything, but she pretty much gamed like there's a now very famous scene of her demonstrating with uh, cue balls or pool balls on the snooker balls, snooker balls on the pool table. Like why it doesn't matter that they determine who the traders are and who the faithful are right now. They just need the numbers that kind of blows up the entire game. But I don't know if most people clocked that she just detonated a bomb in terms of like the strategy of the traders. Because uh, early on, it doesn't matter uh, who the traders and the faithful are. You just want to make sure you have the votes. So like traders will vote to save themselves for the most part. So as long as you don't have a target on your back, you're okay. Um, yeah. So that's that kind of fucks the entire show. I don't know if most people got that that's what happened, but I've seen like, like game experts on Twitter, like the real hardcore survivor people were losing it. Cause they're like, I mean, she just killed this entire show. <laughs> she completely <laughs> fucked this show. So I'm wondering if next season they might introduce like a little more incentives for the traders to like protect the traders, you know? Yeah. And I'll, I'll be curious to see what they do because they did make some tweaks in the right. second, se- like before the second season. They did, um, yeah. I was wondering if it was a little bit because of that, if they realized that the games, there's like two layers to this game. There's like the ostensible game, which is traitors versus faithfuls. And then there's the actual game. And I'm wondering if they figured that out themselves and they're just sort of adapting on the fly, which is great and so interesting to watch. And Survivor has done that throughout the years. That's why they've added all of like these cool new elements, you know, uh, because they respond to stuff like that. And that's so fun to see happen in real time, you know? Yeah. Um, I think I'm just going to be along for the ride no matter what they decide, because clearly this is a massive streaming hit. Yeah. Um, has had, incredible numbers this year has been getting aired on NBC, even though it's a Peacock show, um, which is unheard of. Yeah. The numbers are insane. I totally trust them. Like it's so fun what they're doing and they're clearly really good at it. Uh, and I'm so excited to see Kate as a traitor. She's going to be in her element. She's going to be having so much fun. I'm happy for her. I'm happy for us. Why are you watching the traitors? What are you doing? People, get with it. I you know you think, oh, who needs reality TV? You this need it. You crazy. need it. You do need it. You really do need it. You need this in your life. What are you doing? Treat yourself. It's so fun. All right, guys. Um, I honestly have no much. I don't know how much time we've done because we had so many technical difficulties up top and I just kept recording. So I'm going to go edit this. <laughs> I feel like it's around an hour. Like I feel it in my bones a little bit. So um, fingers crossed. Please follow uh, Meredith and me on Blue Sky. Uh, Light Treason is on Instagram and I'm trying to remember Twitter. Uh, you can email us at lighttreasonnews at gmail. Um, messaging us on Instagram has been working. If you want to do that, uh, that's been fun. And if you're a fan of the show, you can go to my Patreon, patreon.com slash Allison Kilkenny or lighttreason.news and smash the donate button. Either way is a great way to keep the lights on over here and so I can pay Meredith and all that good stuff. Um, thanks so much for listening. If you have any thoughts about anything we talked about, oh my God, please reach out. We love it. And uh, yeah, have a wonderful rest of your weekend. And while you're at it, get out there and cause a little trouble. <laughs> <laughs>